You already know that if you need a car wash, you need to go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. They've got all the tools and expertise to keep your car clean, both inside and on the outside. You want it clean inside because if anybody gets in your car, they're not going to want it look like a pigsty. Plus, you're going to want it clean of all those germs. You want it clean on the outside because if you're going to be pulling up in somebody's neighborhood, maybe going to see a friend, they're going to see the outside of your car and go, wow. This guy, he knows what he's doing with his car washes. That's because Tommy's Express Car Wash is going to take care of you. Their wash packages let you pay for the services you want, including Tommy Guard and Body Wax. That's right. Have it looking real spiffy. Wheel cleaning and tire gloss, underbody flush, and spot-free rinse and vacuums as well. If you're like me, you have a dog. I have a golden retriever. She sheds so much. So I need the vacuums at Tommy's Express Car Wash, and boy, do they have them. They do them right. That's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's Express Car Wash. And don't forget to download the Tommy Club app today and enjoy endless washing for one low price. That's at Tommy's Express Car Wash. We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That we don't got time for that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story, and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Schwert and Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Your prayers have been answered, KU fans. Kansas, Kentucky, for the SEC challenge. If it's one thing that these schedulers have gotten right, it's that do what you want with the rest of that event, but put Kansas and Kentucky together every single year, or at least every single year they aren't already going to be playing in the Champions Classic, which is every three years. This game is going to be played in Allen Fieldhouse. So non-conference slate just got uh, a little bit stronger for KU. Do you think if they just completely disbarred the Big 12 SEC Challenge, has this rivalry become enough of a rivalry to where it Mm. would exist outside of it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, anytime you get two Blue Bloods together, it's already going to get so much watch on it. But just the fact, too, that, you know, it has been happening of late and you had it happen, I think, for the first time in the Big 12 SEC Challenge as part of... um, when they brought the rules back to Lawrence. And then you also have the added fact of having like the Bill Self, John Calipari, not really a rivalry, but like, you know, a little bit because it's two guys who have played in the title against each other twice. And then you're playing each other basically every year. Yeah. Is it a rivalry? Mm. No, because I, I think when you have a rival, like to me, the telltale of a rival is you're not necessarily like score watching them. But when you look up at the scoreboard and you're, like, actively seeking out, hopefully they lost. I don't really do that. I feel that. I feel that. You do that? I'm kind of – I found myself doing it last year because it's like KU's – and I'll probably do it this year because KU's so close and wins. So maybe maybe it is a rivalry then. It's 4-4. to It's 4-4 to between the two coaches since John Calipari took over at Kentucky. Kentucky got the first three. Kansas got the next three. Then Kentucky won in 2019. KU won last year. It was a it was a rough start. I mean, the first one was <laughs> the first one was in 2011 with Anthony Davis and that team that just kind of took care of business in the Champions Classic. That game was never all that close. Then they played again that same season in the national championship, and then was two years later, you remember that game, 2014-15, the infamous vodka game. The vodka game, 72-40. to But since then, uh, it's been pretty good. You had that classic in 2016, uh, went to overtime. That was, I think, Wayne Selden had a really big game. That was Frank Mason, Wayne Selden. Um, And then 2017 was honestly my favorite one. 2017 was my favorite one because both teams were ranked like in the top five that year. 
and it was at Kentucky. And at that point, KU only really had the one win in this series, so you still felt like Kentucky was the team. And that was uh, it wouldn't, you look at it now, like there's a lot of talented players on that Kentucky team: Darren Fox, Bam Adebayo, Malik Bunk. No, that's the big one. Malik Bam Adebayo, Monk. Malik Bunk. Um, Bam Adebayo <laughs> is now an All NBA center, and Landon Lucas went toe to toe with him. Yeah, I believe Josh Jackson went off in that game. If yeah, I, I think Josh hit a bunch of. I I could have sworn they were like losing by like eight or nine points toward the end of the first half, and then they just started getting bonkers. Malik Bonkers from three from that point on. I like calling him Malik Bunk, even though it's a bit of a slight. <laughs> that was my favorite game because when you went into their arena and beat them, and then, but then you realized after the game that there's nothing that special about that arena. It just looks like a supermarket or like a big superstore. Uh, and then you had the Champions Classic the next year, and that was the game where. Billy Preston was supposed to play, and then right before we found out that he was suspended, and then, uh, you know, the rest happened, and KU ended up winning against a really bad Kentucky. That was a bad Kentucky team. That proved to be a pretty awful one uh, with Kevin Knox and what was the Diallo kid's name? Uh, Hamadou, Hamadou Diallo. Diallo. Uh, P.J. Washington. They came on late because mm-hmm. P.J. Washington sort of came Shea on late. I think Shea Gilgis-Alexander wasn't playing early, and then they inserted him into the starting lineup like midway. Yeah. Then they win the next year in 2019. We know how that season was. For that might have been the least memorable of any of the games. Because even if, even the losses to Kentucky earlier, it was like, oh, those are great teams, you know. With that one, it was just like, eh. And then KU won by three this past year, and that was the Jalen Wilson game. Right? He takes over late, 23 points, 10 rebounds. And again, it was against uh, a rather forgettable Kentucky team. But it's still Kentucky. And that was the game where we were like, oh, Jalen Wilson is that dude. Like, he lives for these moments. And uh, maybe not the exact same feeling that you were left with with Jalen Wilson, but I'm, I'm I'm thinking that he'll have a chance to, uh, to reestablish himself as a big game player because I'm feeling like Jalen Wilson's coming back next year. We told you about his stat lines yesterday from the G League Elite Camp. Well, today at the NBA Combine in Chicago, they started doing testing, measurements, all of those sorts of things. And we have some numbers from Jalen and Marcus Garrett as well. I want to start with Jalen because this these came out yesterday. Not surprising, but they paint a pretty vivid picture, okay? Jalen Wilson measured 6'7 with shoes. Six five three quarters without shoes. I'll ask again. That was surprising. That he's six five and three quarters without shoes. Both. I thought he was six eight six nine. He was th- playing center. Yeah, thought he was about six eight. Um, why did they do the measurements without shoes? We have this discussion every year. I don't know. I don't. I still don't have an answer. I think it is. Has they- there ever been a basketball player to play a competitive game without shoes on? No. You know what it is. I think it's. Uh, they want to make sure, like, you can go through the list and see, okay, everybody has on average, whatever, like a one and a quarter inch upgrade with shoes or whatever it would be. And they can see clearly if he's, let's say, 6'5 without shoes, but he's 6'8 with shoes. It's like, clearly you wore some shoes that are going to help you out here. Or is it they want to know specifically your height relative to your standing reach relative to your wingspan? That could be a two. Right? And that would actually help the player. If you got a 6'10 wingspan and you're 6'9, well, that's not impressive. But if you have a 6'10 wingspan and you're 6'7, right, that's a that's a little bit better. 6'7 with shoes, 6'5 and three quarters without them. That's wild. Yeah. 225, 7% body fat. That's adequate body fat percentage mm. for you. Very good. How do you like your guys? I would take that. Where do you where do you take your guys at body fat percentage wise? Mm. You like them a little thicker? Or you like who's the guy a couple years ago who was like beefy boy? He was like twenty five percent. I know who you're talking about, but I don't remember. Is that a KU player? Hmm. Uh, was it Svee? No. You think Svee would have like a twenty five percent body fat? I'm just saying, like you're asking, 
Uh, let's go through it. Let's find out who the fattest guy in NBA Combine history is. If that's what you care about. So um, rude. Jonte Porter was at 13.8. That's not that's not fat. SV was 8.45. So he was one of the fatter guys at the Combine. He had a high, That's what it was. He had a higher body fat percentage than Yudoka did. Okay. Yudoka <laughs> was at 7.95. Svi was at 8.45. So, like, that's something you can tell people as, like, a little, like, a... Um, trivia next year. Uh, trivia. Or just, like, a little uh, fun factoid yeah. at a party. It's like, yeah, you know Svi Mikhailuk's looks <laughs> fatter than Yudoka Azubuki? You say it like that, too. Really put the... <laughs> Matthew Hurt was over 15% body fat. Wow. Imagine what he'd look like if he didn't have fat. He would just look like a string bean, because he already does. Um... Diedrich Lawson was one of the fatter guys at the Combine two years ago. I say one of the fatter guys. Like 8.9% body fat. Dude, I'll work, the, I'll work out two day, times a week, two times a day the rest of my life. I'll never get below 10% body fat. So <laughs> calling Diedrich Lawson fat boy for being 89 is probably not entirely accurate. Uh, Quentin Grimes came in at 8.45. This Okay, O'Shea Brissett, remember him from... He had a really good uh, playoff game for the Pacers this past year. He was listed at 2.9% no. body fat. That's not livable. I thought they said you need to have at least 4% body fat just for, Apparently like, your not. body to function properly. Enough oxygen. Yeah, some of these. Theo Maladon was at 2.8. Jemias Ramsey was at 3.4. It's like the, how are you living? <laughs> no, Seriously. I want to just find. I want to find something just extraordinary. I wish Kofi Coburn would have got his body fat percentage because you know that wouldn't have been impressive. I don't even think he got a combine invite. All right. Anyway, uh, some one guy who did not register at a high body fat percentage. One guy who none of the rookie, uh, none of the nickname. He won't be getting hazed by the nickname Fat Boy. Is Ochai Abaji, the opposite of Fat Boy, Skinny Boy. Four point one five percent body fat. 6'5 with shoes on, 6'4 and a half without shoes, 214 pounds. He was the fourth non-fattest player. <laughs> only only three guys were you're, less. You're, you're stuck to that term, aren't you? Only three guys were less fat than him. <laughs> so he has a, a wingspan of 6'10. So you're talking about 6'4 and a half with a 6'10 wingspan versus Jalen Wilson, 6'5 and three quarters. With a six-eight wingspan, therein lies why wow. one of those guys is a legit NBA prospect and the other one isn't. I don't know what Jalen Wilson plays at the next level. I mean, based on his height, he has to play the three. And right now in college, he's playing a four or five. And even then, he's not a tall three. But if you put Jalen Wilson at the three, I'm not sure he's quick enough to keep up with threes or big enough to take advantage of them. Well, like okay, perfect example. I'm trying to think. Like the teams that are in the playoffs right now. Mikael um, Bridges is playing the three, and he's about 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but he has, like, uh, one of those long wingspans. So, like, Jalen Wilson is in the same class as Michael Mikael Bridges, but doesn't, like, do things like a Mikael Bridges. So, yeah. So, you know, I talked to Sam Vecini of The Athletic last week about all these guys, and you can go back and listen to the podcast on our best of from last Wednesday. And, and what he kind of said about First about Ochai was that he he had Ochai behind Marcus Garrett even. And this the simple reason was because he doesn't think like the idea that like Ochai needs to, to work on his handles, like that's not something that that Sam was really buying. He said, I, I think it he's not gonna be asked to do that. No matter what. He, no one's gonna ask him to put the ball in the deck and go get your own bucket. He has to be a three and D guy. He has to be a three and D guy. And while he doesn't necessarily think that that's him. He probably doesn't have anything to gain by coming back for another year, and it was more of it. And it was, and that's it was not a compliment. It, it was kind of saying he said it. I, I don't think Ochai processes the game at a very high level. He doesn't make a lot of like decisions where you go, "Wow, what a great play!" Not just because of athleticism, like the type of stuff you would see all the time with Cade Cunningham or even Frank Mason, who was not an elite prospect, but he would make those plays, and you'd say, "Wow, he's got high basketball IQ." You don't. I certainly see a lot of those plays being made by, by Ochai. And he said, I would take Marcus Garrett over him. I have him ranked higher because elite defender, 
and it'd probably be easier for you to convince yourself that we can fix his jumper than anything else. And if you fix his jumper, like like Matisse Thibel, where it's you're not a knockdown shooter, but you're respectable, boom. There's how Marcus Garrett finds a lane in the league. That's it. You don't have to get any more creative than that. Well, X, Y, and Z. No, X. Become a better shooter. Improve your jumper. Marcus Garrett can, can play in the league for 10 years. With Jalen Wilson, it's sort of difficult because as of right now, whereas Ochai, I'd say shooting, whereas Marcus, I'd say defense, what's the top line of Jalen Wilson's NBA draft resume? What is the one skill set that stands out above the rest, the one thing he can hang his hat on, the one thing you know he's great at? I mean, he high motor? Tries hard? Because <laughs> that's not a skill. Like, playing hard isn't really a skill. It's a trait, I guess. I don't no, want to get into there have semantics. been times that Bill Self has gotten on yeah. about that. Rebounds well for his position? I mean, seriously, we're kind of grasping at straws here, yeah. which is why this won't come as a surprise to anybody, but Jalen Wilson has to come back to Kansas next year because I don't think he really has much of an NBA profile right now. And I think his best bet for establishing one is going to be coming back. Well, by the way, you're not going to be the number one. You're probably not going to be the number two. If Ochai's gone, you, your best bet is being number three behind David McCormick and Remy Martin and being a knockdown shooter. Yeah. Like you've got to be a 40% shooter. I kind of think that he might be a player who has to stay for two more years. Maybe so. And that's what's weird is in another era, we wouldn't even be having this discussion no. of whether or not he should stay for two more years. If we were in another era, we'd say, of course he's staying for two more years. What else is he going to do? But now you get the G League invite, and they say, okay, well, you did some nice things, so let's see. I mean, I saw a report from some J- Jeremy Wu, I don't know, NBA reporter who said that Jalen Wilson showed more offensive versatility than expected. What? He scored like 10 points in two games. What are you talking about? I wasn't there. I didn't get to see the scrimmages, but it wasn't enough to get invited to the Combine, to even get invited to the Combine. Yeah, I think Jalen's going to be back. I think Jalen's going to be back. I think his role is going to look different, though. Everybody's role, I think, is going to take a change with Remy there because as much as we say that this is going to open up things for everybody, which I think it will to an extent. The reality is Remy Martin is not Aaron Miles. No, it opens you know things what I mean? up he's for people. Not just, he's not just going to be out there trying to create for others. Like That's yeah. going to be secondary to him getting his own. No, it opens things other up for others from an efficiency standpoint. Yeah. You're not going to – it's going to get volume, volume standpoint down. But the looks you get are probably going to be better than the looks you were getting last year. And I think if you're a head coach, you'll certainly take the efficiency over the volume. He's Derek Johnson. I'm Nick Schwert. We got Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports who's going to join the show coming up here in a bit, breaking down the Supreme Court's ruling against the NCAA in the case of the NCAA versus Austin. What's it mean in the short term? What's it mean in the long term? And honestly, what the hell was the NCAA thinking when they used this strategy for so long. We'll talk about all that coming up here in just a bit. You're listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk. So earlier this week, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously 9-0 to zero against the NCAA in the case of NCAA versus Alston. Let's talk about it with Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports, who joins us now on the show. Dan, I think my first reaction is probably the reaction for a lot of people, which was, what is the NCAA Versus Alston. So before we get into the implications, what is this case? How did it all come about? Well, the case stems on whether colleges can um, provide what they're deeming additional educational expenses to uh, student athletes. So that would be, say, uh, you want to give laptops to all the kids on the team, um, paid internships. Um, sci- you know, equipment for a science lab that maybe they didn't, you know, just want to add it to the scholarship because your cost of attending school is not just tuition, room, and board, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, an academic award uh, where you might get, you know, are, are you capable of getting, you know, a thousand dollar grant or whatever, up to fifty nine hundred dollars in grant. So the NCAA fought that um, because you know they're very, very, they're always concerned with money. 
uh, the schools don't want to give out any more money, and they are always worried about this this endless concept of fair play. And so one school's giving out laptops, another can't afford to, or everybody who gets a 2.0 earns the academic award, gets five thousand bucks. Um, you you know that's their 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 slippery slope that they go crazy on. Um, that was the case, and the, the Supreme Court ruled that they cannot prohibit, they cannot stop that. So schools can provide it if, if they so choose. So now student athletes can get laptops, they can get scientific equipment that doesn't seem to move the needle from a college athletics big picture point of view. Where is the headline then for this case? What exactly are the implications of the Supreme Court's rulings? Well, it's, it's really the, the decision um, that was written and then the concurrence by Kavanaugh that just, you know, it's a 9-0 decision, it, which oh, this is a very narrow ruling on something very small, but it sets the precedent that you come in with something bigger and ask for more on the next lawsuit. Um, not only will lower courts look to the guidance of the Supreme Court on this and probably rule in the favor of plaintiffs, um, but, you know, Kavanaugh really came off the top rope and just just lambasted the whole concept of amateurism and, you know, suggested that the, the, the uh, NCA was in violation of the law on this and violation of antitrust. And um, so he, he all but just put up a, a, an open for business sign or a welcome sign, please sue again if it gets to us. I, at least, and probably everybody else here is ready to rule that you can't stop pay for play. You can't stop, uh, you know, who knows whatever level of compensation you want to give. His basic argument is the NCAA's own argument as well. We don't pay college athletes because we don't pay college athletes and we've never paid college athletes. And you go, well, that's not, that's just a circular argument. And they say, well, our fans wouldn't support our teams if we paid them. And he just said, that's absurd. And, and all that. So it, it opens up a door where you can, come in for for more and that's where the NCA is at risk and really their strategy of even fighting this um again they they just for for 30 40 years longer they've dug in and fought every little thing instead of adapting along the way or or compromising or um reforming themselves and kind of working with the student athletes to get more and more as as the society and life has changed they just held to this, like, it's 1956 or it's 1974. We're not giving anything. They fought stipends. They fought, you name it. And so now they fought this relatively small thing. Um, and now they're at risk of losing what, in their mind, would be major, major losses. And so that's why it really made no sense to, to do this. You go in front of the Supreme Court, you don't know what's coming back. And what came back was, a table setter for future lawsuits against the NCAA. It was a bad day for for their position uh, and what they're trying to do. So you touched on a lot of things there, Dan. Um, do, do you think the comments from Judge Brett Kavanaugh are almost more damning than the ruling itself? These are very plain spoken. Um, I mean, he, you know, he was sounded like a, uh, you know, like he was calling into to the radio <laughs> or something, <laughs> inter, internet column he just wanted to write. Um, you know, I mean, he had some great lines in there, you know, he's like, you can't eat all the, all the, all the hospitals in the city can't say we're not paying our nurses because we, we believe, uh, healthcare should be performed out of, uh, you know, uh, a love of, of healing people. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you're right. Like pay the nurses, right. Who's against that? Yeah. And so there was a very, very bit of that. Uh, I think that what he is, you know, clearly he is forced, he is forcefully saying that he's, in this case gets you know, one thing, the Supreme Court, they have to choose what cases they take. And so he has a great, clearly a great interest in it. And um, on the heels of a 9-0 thing, he wanted to make it very clear that this was not just a a, a narrow ruling, that there's, there's a potential there. So Kavanaugh's statement was a uh, that, uh, you know, if you're in the NCA and you're you're fighting for this stuff, that's that was a nothing you wanted to read. It's now, one thing for, for you and I to have this discussion. It's a whole other one for Supreme Court justice. Yeah, that was, I mean, he had a, a few of those analogies talking about uh, preserving the sake of amateurism in Hollywood, I think was one yeah. of those movies. Like, it was great. It was a great performance, but just to play devil's advocate, it, that, that's one man's comment. That's one of nine. They did rule 9-0 
unanimously in favor, or I should say against the NCAA. I'm curious though, is, is there enough there to assume that the other justices were in lockstep with Kavanaugh with those comments that he made? Well, no one signed on with it. So, you know, that would be the clearest indication that they are. Um, but there's also no indication that they necessarily aren't. Um, so, you know, this is the, could, could, could this thing split as this gets a broader base? Possibly. Um, but I don't know, you know, Kavanaugh, I don't want to get too much into Supreme court, uh, analysis, but he's sort of in the, he's, you know, he's sort of, there's nine justices and they're sort of divided three, three, three. He's in that middle three of a lot of cases. And, uh, so that, that isn't helpful either. Uh, but I don't know, you know, again, it, nothing, nothing is sure. Nobody knows what happens when you, you go off the court system. And that's sort of one of the issues and why you don't want to be in the court system. You know, and one of the failures of the NCA, the biggest failure in the last 30, 40 years are all these presidents, all these conference commissioners, all these presidents, all these ADs just kept kicking these cans down the road saying, we're not going to, we're never backing down. And now they're sitting there basically saying, I mean, they asked to go to the Supreme Court. They're asked to go to the United States Senate and ask when you're trying to run a business and you're counting on judges and politicians to run it for you and set your standards of operation. I mean, that's just an absolutely crazy way to try to run a business. No, no business owner listening to this would be like, hey, I really hope I get a politician to tell me what to do. <laughs> Usually you try to avoid all of that. So... You know, this is a, a long, long time coming uh, in failure to to just, again, adapt or die. And, you know, I think there's real consequences. I, I'm a big, big proponent of name, image, and likeness and always have been. Uh, they got rid of it in the Olympics 40 years ago, and the Olympics are more popular. They made the, the Olympics made all these arguments for a long time, and they gave up in the 1980s. They would be arguing that. Americans wouldn't root for Simone Biles unless she's an amateur. Well, you know, guess what? Simone Biles, <laughs> people are very excited to see her this summer. She's more popular. Nobody wants Simone Biles to be broke. Everyone's like, you know, anyone's like, I just, I can't watch. She's making $25 million a year in endorsements. No, good, right? Uh, it, it, mostly, you wouldn't even get Simone Biles to compete in another Olympics. You wouldn't get a Michael Phelps to compete five times. Are you saying both to keep competing? We want. We have no problem with it. These, this is all their arguments were blown out in the in the early eighties, nineteen eighty four or so, whatever it was. Um, you know, the dream team became popular in basketball. All the different things. So they just have held on to this thing for so long that they, you know, this is it's the failure of so many people that were that were here, and um, you, you have to change as society changes and. Name is, I guess what I'm saying is name, image, and likeness is fine. When you start getting into every athlete on campus has to be paid, um, the finances start getting dicey. And I think what you'll end up with is, uh, you know, it's not a bottomless pit of money. It is a finite. There is a lot of money, but it's a finite money. And you're going to invest in your profit sectors like football and men's basketball and maybe a few other sports at different places where it's hockey or baseball or, you know, um, you know, women's basketball is popular, but for the most part, this is it. And, uh, you know, I think you'd see a lot of schools say, I'm going to not have this team. I'm not going to have that. We're not going to pay uh, a field hockey team somewhere uh, to, to play for us. The scholarship was all we could offer. So, uh, you know, I think they, they, they're risking, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of downsides to come if you don't compromise. And right now the courts seem to be pointing to a spot where, after decades of uh, the NCA not compromising, now the other side might not have Talking to Dan Wetzel, Yahoo Sports here for another minute or two, but the, with everything you just laid out, and it seems like such common sense, when you look at all of this, name, image, and likeness included, and asked how or why they did this, like why they thought this was a winning strategy, what were they thinking? These aren't, I, I don't think, moronic people sitting in the NCAA offices in Indianapolis. So I, I just, I wonder what, what do you think they thought was going to happen at the end of this? What was their thought process through this that, that, that made them feel like this was a winning strategy? And it's really not the people in Indianapolis. It's the ADs, 
around the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, the NCAA is just, there's a few hundred people working there running championships and, and things like that. And, you know, but they don't make the decision. It's university presidents and it's the athletic directors and the commissioners that, that tell the presidents how to vote you know, often. Um, I think it, in college sports, there's a group think that there's this, that first off, regulation is always right. More rules. Uh, there's a credible distrust of each other, um, probably for good reason. Uh, there's a belief that a level playing field can be attained. Uh, and then it's a lot about keeping the money. You know, it's just like, you know, I look at it and say, well, you know, what do I care if the star quarterback of the team, um, you know, look, the, 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 most of these guys aren't going to get tons of money from endorsements, but let's say the star quarterback at, at Kansas um, or the star point guard, you know, some board dealer. Yeah, let's, I don't think there's, yeah, we don't want to play. Yeah. <laughs> go, but, you know, let's say the Jayhawks star player gets to go down on Sunday, uh, you, know, you know, and sign autographs at the local Ford dealer, right? Yeah. And he drags in a thousand people and he gets paid 2500 for an appearance fee. I say, great. They go, well, right now, if you want to try to sell Fords to our fan base, you have to go through the university. If that 2500 has to go to a, an ad in the, in the, in the you know, uh, game book or whatever, the program, mm-hmm. or, or you have to be the official deal. All, we control all the money. And so they're looking at it, you know, in some ways like that. And, you know, I guess if we're down to the pennies, but, man, again, you're like penny-wise, pound foolish here. It's just it, they're in a really dicey spot because um, I, I and, and I just think fair is fair. Like they're not what what are, here is your perfect example. What are the Kansas Jayhawks basketball team worth and what's the football team worth? Well, the reason one's worth more than the other is because in terms of these endorsements, because of the talent of the player. Right? They're not they don't go to the game if the team stinks. They go to the game if the team's great. One program's great. One program isn't. So when you talk about the loss of programs because of the way that schools are effectively going to have to make decisions with what to do with their money, like we can get into these doomsday scenarios. Is there anything that can be done? Is it too late for the NCAA or for these athletic directors to act and and change course and salvage whatever they can? Or do you feel like the writing is, is simply on the wall at this point? Yeah, and again, I don't know that that would happen. Like, I don't know where this is going. But you can see a, a school, and you take, especially if you step down from that major level, where if I have to pay every athlete on campus, why do I have so many athletes? Right. Um, some of these sports, you know, some schools have thirty-six teams. Like, some of them really don't make any sense anyway. Uh, but they have them, and they provide that opportunity. But you can just as easily have a club team. You can, you know, there's plenty of things going on. I don't know that there is after the Kavanaugh concurrence. Like, I really don't. Like, it's like you, you, he's basically inviting people to, you know, to to push forward and inviting more lawsuits. And so, how do you stop that? The NCA, I think, could have worked better to where there wasn't such a climate of I have to go to the courts to get uh, anything. Uh, you know, these guys fought monthly stipends for athletes. They fought everything, and. You know, you just, once you go down that road, I don't know how you stop it. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I certainly, they certainly put themselves in some level of peril um, going forward. And hopefully it, it, it doesn't cause those types of things, but hey, there, there's a, there's a budget and it's like, you could just sit there and say, Hey, well, they should just cut the football salaries. Well, they're not going to do that because that's where we make the money. Um, what they're going to do is say, Oh, maybe we don't need a cross country team. And, Maybe they don't. I'm not really arguing that schools should have. I don't know why you have a cross-country team, to be honest with you, but I don't think that's what people inside college athletics think and, and want. Uh, you know, my opinion doesn't really matter. He is Dan Wetzel. You can check out his work, Yahoo Sports, yahoosports.com. Check out the Yahoo Sports College podcast as well. Dan, it was a pleasure to uh, sit down and talk with you. I appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, hop on with me today. Thanks for having me on. Take care, man. It's 4 o'clock on a Wednesday. You know what that means. It's time for another edition of the NFL Whip Around, a segment that moves faster than the fire rate of Frank Clark's Uzi. Derek, take it away. Well, that is uh, 
Despite the intro to this one, first up, I'll give you if then. I give you the if scenario. You tell me the then. Novel concept. Very novel concept. If you happen to have the number one pick in your fantasy football draft, you rig it, or maybe you just get lucky. There you go. Then? Then, I think there's no slam dunk number one pick. Christian McCaffrey, for a lot of people, is going to be that guy, but injured last year, new quarterback, new offensive coordinator and head coach from the time where he had that MVP-type season. Saquon Barkley's coming back. I think people forget that. Don't you think that we don't talk about that enough, that at one point in time, Saquon Barkley looked like the most perfect NFL running back prospect ever and hit the ground running? Now, he is on a pretty cruddy team that usually is uh, it can get in the way of productive seasons. Let me ask you this. Do you consider going wide receiver number one? Wow. Um, no, just because there is kind of like, there's that lack of that star end running back, and I feel like there has been, at least over the past couple years, there's a nice depth of wide receivers where you can get, like if you want to go star running back first round, you can get two really good receivers second and third round if you want to go back to back there. You can get good receivers third, fourth round. It's really hard to get that elite running back outside of the first round. The other guy that should probably be considered after having back-to-back incredible seasons, Dalvin Cook. Yeah. I feel like we don't talk about him enough. I, you that's know what the best way to talk about players, by the way, is just always say, we're not talking <laughs> about them enough. So underrated. Everything's overrated. Seriously, that's two back-to-back yeah. great seasons it for is. Dalvin Cook. Do you get worried at all, though, that he had the, I think he had two years of injuries, that it's almost like one year on, one year off, that he's just due for an injury this year? He's due. He's due to get injured. Right. That's, a, that's a bit of a stretch, I think. Okay, here's the more interesting question to have, because if you're asking who the number one pick's going to be, it's going to be one of McCaffrey, Cook, or Saquon. Maybe you can throw Derrick Henry or... Uh, Maybe that's who we should throw. Alvin there. Kamara. I, mean, I get it. Like, Derrick Henry, it's not sexy because it's, oh, it's an aging running back. Like, you're not going to keep betting on him to do that. He's at 2,000 yards. He probably won't do that again, but like... But here's the more fun way to go about fantasy drafts, right? Who's the guy who's definitely 100% not going to get drafted number one? Who you'd be insane to take number one, but that maybe you get late first round, early second, who you think... Because this happens every year as well. There's that guy you get late first round, early second, who ends up being one of the top players, like Dalvin Cook, right? Nobody was taking Dalvin Cook in the top four last year. So... Who's that guy this year? Stephon Diggs was another guy like that. Calvin Ridley, where you're getting them in later rounds. They end up being one of the top five players in fantasy. Who's your pick to be that? The guy who's going to be drafted later, but you think has number one top five overall potential. I mean, does Derrick Henry count? No, because... Top five? Yes, yes. Derrick Henry does not. Nobody's going to be surprised if Derrick Henry ends up as one of the top running backs in fantasy. Go out on a... On a bit of a okay, I mean Nick Chubb. I'm looking at like ESPN's rankings. Nick Chubb is ranked tenth. Is that a good one? You just don't want to be bold. Be bold. How is that? He's supposed to go 14th in the first round. They you just said 10th. 10th running back. Oh, okay. He's 14th overall. I think that would be a good one. Um, if you're looking at a second rounder, like could you see like a DeAndre Swift with uh, I forget the Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell's just like we're gonna run every play. That's mm-hmm. what I want to do. We want to bite their ankles and run every play. And DeAndre Swift gets... Those are the two <laughs> yeah. basic tenets of a Dan Campbell offense. I mean, they don't have a great receiving core. They don't have a good quarterback. So, like... Or they don't have a... I don't know. A, a great quarterback. They might just have to run the ball a bunch. Would DeAndre mm. Swift be, like, a good breakout candidate? That one, I could see. But I think sense. they're going to be so bad. And I never mm-hmm. think that running backs on terrible teams are going to do well because they're just not going to pick up first downs and they're not going to score lots of J.K. touchdowns. Dobbins. Now we're talking... Because that's a team you know is going to run a lot. He came on at the end of last season. Mark Ingram, gone. They probably hand the reins over to him in an offense that you know is going to be one of the best rushing offenses in the NFL. Where does he come in right now? He's way down there. I I see him at 42nd, running back number 19. Along those same lines, what about right in Kansas City, Clyde Mm Edwards-Alaire? Now, it's tough with him because you know that they're still going to pass the ball a lot. But he wasn't featured as a pass catcher as much as we thought he was going to be in year one. Andy Reid said as much last week. He said, you know, we didn't really take the leash off of him in the pass game. I would imagine he's going to be utilized more heavily. And if the running 
just stays the same. Like the rushing production from last year just stays the same. And all of a sudden he catches an extra 15, 20 passes. Like he goes from being a top 15 guy to a top 10 guy pretty quickly. Yeah. But I think to your point of like Dalvin Cook guys, because Dalvin Cook was still like a late first, early second round pick last year. What about Jonathan Taylor? Yeah, he's probably the one. If you're looking for somebody from that running back class a year ago, Taylor's that guy. Because coming out of college, what was he thought of as being the most polished, well-ready running back in the class? And again, he got to a situation where he was sort of splitting carries early on in the season until they just sort of handed the reins over to him. That's an offense that I expect to be a little bit better than they were last year. So, uh, yeah, Jonathan Taylor's probably the safe pick. If we're going to keep going on those lines, Najee Harris might be the guy as well because who knows? He hits the ground running with what he did at Alabama. Would it really surprise you if he ended up being a star right away? Probably yeah. not. Yeah, I think any of the rookies, you never know because you don't know what their situation is going to So be. I just gave you – so if Everybody, you get the number one yeah. pick, you have about 26 <laughs> options. Pick one of them. It's not that hard. Uh, HBO Max's The Shop, which is produced by LeBron James, um, they released their teaser trailer for the next season, and Tom Brady was on it, and the clip of Tom Brady – he goes, I can't believe they signed. They were going to stick with that MFR over me. He thought he was going to sign there. They ended up sticking with the other quarterback. Now, I remember some of the teams that were in on Tom Brady at the time. Obviously, he goes to Tampa Bay. I think Las Vegas was in on it. I can't remember if Denver was or not. Um, New Orleans was. San Francisco, I want to say. So, I don't know which of these teams is. But Jeff Darlington, NFL reporter for ESPN on Get Up this morning, said, Quote, I'm going to say it as clear as day. It's the New Orleans Saints. Mm. So, I don't so know. So, Tom I, Brady called Drew Brees yeah, an that's, MF-er. that's where I'm, I, I don't know if I believe that. But, if the Saints did have the chance to sign Tom Brady, but instead signed Drew Brees, or re-signed him, or kept him instead, then? It just seems like very strong wording. Right? For a guy you feel like he has like a really good. blood there? They have a good, no, remember there was the video of them. Uh, after Breeze retired, they were playing. Tom Brady was playing catch with Drew Brees' kids. Drew Brees at the time didn't know that the man playing catch with his son <laughs> called him on, you know, on paid television, premium television, called him an mf'er. So that signed football that his son has somewhere in his room is getting taken down today. I don't believe it. I, I don't, don't believe he would call Drew Brees an mf'er. I don't either. I think this was the 49ers. It makes too much sense. He'd be fine calling Jimmy G his former backup an MFR, right? Absolutely. I mean, it could be the Raiders. Tennessee. Too, like Carr. Yeah. Tennessee, I think Tennessee would have brought him in, though. Like, I think he chose yeah, Tampa Bay over Tannehill was a free agent. Yeah. So they probably would have brought him in. I think it's San Francisco. That would make more sense. Mm-hmm. But D- Darlington's saying it's clear as day. I don't think that he can say that. No. Like, but he doesn't know. Like he huh. may know which teams chose other quarterbacks over him, but to, to boil it down to one. But he said it. It's, it's one thing to say, I think it's the Saints. To say, quote, I'm going to say it as clear as day. It's the New Orleans Saints. Ugh. I don't. That's a, that's a fractured relationship, if mm. so. So if that is the case, that relationship will never be the wow. same. Sad. And if that's the case, Tom Brady's just rude. Not cool, man. Don't call people names like that. Yeah. That's backstabbing. Yeah. We have our cool guy of the week. He'd be not cool guy of the week. No. Are they good? I ask you if things, people, places, teams, are they good? First up, the Bears not starting Justin Fields week one. Would that be good? Uh, I don't think so. Matt Nagy, the coach of the Bears, has been pretty adamant about this from day one. You go back to the offseason, before they'd even drafted Justin Fields, they had the graphic after they signed Andy Dalton that said, QB1. Okay. Who are you fooling? Matt Nagy went on Chris Collingsworth's podcast. Chris Collingsworth has a podcast with Richard Sherman, mm-hmm. right? On it's a weird pair, by the way. It works. Yeah. Pro Football Focus podcast. It says, quote, no, Andy's our starter. I can't predict anything. You know how it goes. There's so many things that can happen between today and week one, but Andy's our starter and Justin is our number two, and we're just going to stick with this plan, end quote. So many things can happen, such as... Justin Fields outperforming Andy Dalton, <laughs> right? You never know what could happen. We could we could have them compete, and uh, Justin Fields could end up being way better than Andy Dalton, at which point my hands would be tied. I would have no choice as the head coach, who, you know, makes all the decisions. I would have no choice but to start the quarterback who deserves to start. 
Well, the thing that's that's going against Justin Fields here, yes, Fields has a stronger arm than Andy Dalton. Yes, Justin Fields is more accurate than Andy Dalton. Yes, Justin Fields is faster than Andy Dalton. Yes, Justin Fields is a better runner than Andy Dalton. Yes, Justin Fields had a better college career than Andy Dalton. But Andy Dalton has been in the NFL for a while, so that's going for him. I, I don't see any way that they end up starting Andy Dalton. But no, but week let's four, not ask that but question. But they're they're going to start him week ask one. Ask the I, question. I think, they are. I think they will too it because it happens good, no. all the time. No, it is not good. Do you think there is a chance that Andy Dalton simply is better than Justin Fields right now? No. <laughs> you don't think that if a if a football game were today that Andy Dalton would give the Bears a better chance no. of winning that game than Justin Fields? <laughs> no. no chance. <laughs> no. Okay. I mean, did it's you, fair did you I watch the Cowboys? Like, just yeah, it was bad. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, that was I don't bad. disagree with you. It's just uh, I, I think he's. I believe him. I believe him when he says Andy Dalton's going to start because oh yeah, I it happens that. all the time, mm-hmm. all the time. Good. So it won't be any different this time around. But you're yeah. right. By week four or five, Justin Fields will be the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, owners owning things is that good? Yeah, man. Ownership, uh, private property. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a tenant on which this country was founded, mm-hmm. so I have no problem with that. What's the context? Uh, Manchester United and Arsenal, which are soccer teams, if you weren't aware, uh, their fans are planning to use the NFL games in England, the Falcons-Jets game and the Jaguars-Dolphins game that are being played at their uh, soccer team's stadium to protest because the same owners of their soccer teams, Manchester United and Arsenal, um, are the same ones that own NFL teams, and they don't want them owning their soccer teams because they think they're messing them up. So they only want they, they want soccer people owning their teams, yes. right? Not just rich guys. Yes. It, it, what's funny about that is it would imply that these guys are, their, their specialty is instead mm-hmm. in football. <laughs> like, like, here's the problem, and I want to speak very clearly to Man U fans and Arsenal fans if we have any out there. It's not that you're wrong. It's just that I don't think anybody in America is under the guise that NFL owners are super well-versed in football things, <laughs> that they are the ones who should be running football. Frankly. Do I think Clark Hunt's a good owner? I guess, but not because I think he has robust knowledge of how a, a team ought to be run. Like, maybe he's just good at hiring good people. good at hiring people who know how to <laughs> right. run football. Teams. That's right. it. Which is the most important thing. And delegate, yeah. right? And delegate to people and don't be this overbearing owner that likes to make decisions. We all know one of them down in Dallas. But from there, like Paul Allen, the Seahawks, what is he, a Microsoft billionaire? Like, yeah, this guy <laughs> belongs in football. He's a football guy. He shouldn't be delving into soccer. Dude, I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. So, um, go for it. But who are you going to get to own your team? Because it's got to be a rich person. Like an oil tycoon or something. And usually the billionaires aren't former athletes. Yeah. Uh, Jameis Winston, have you seen his latest workout? I haven't. What can you tell me about it? Uh, so you need to watch the video. But All right, I'll is, watch it right uh, now. It is something. Um, so actually, some I saw some like athletes saying, like, what the hell is he doing? So this isn't just like me coming out here being like, I don't understand what he's doing. He's basically like weaving between these big black pillars that yeah. are like pillowy. And a guy is just, like, coming at him with, like, not the boxing gloves that you'd use to punch somebody. The boxing gloves you'd use the to mitts, grab a punch. The mitts, yeah. yeah. And he's just, like, swiping at his arms in the football. And Jameis is just, like, getting – it looks like he's running through, like, one of those inflatable obstacle courses as a kid. And you're, like, trying to beat the other guy. And he's, like, running back and forth, getting knocked yeah. around. Everywhere. Like, what, what's looks going weird. on here? It looks weird. Um, it looks really weird. Here's the thing. This isn't new. Do you remember when – do you remember when Robert Griffin III was making his comeback from... Like thrown at trees. Yeah, no, there was the one picture specifically that he posted to Instagram, and it was him, like, running down, like, a private road where he lived on, and he had a, a rope tied to his waist, and it was tied to, like, a massive, like, monster truck or, like, farm equipment <laughs> tire, and he was just dragging it down the road, and all of these former athletes were saying, like, that is the worst thing he could be doing for his knee. <laughs> Like that, you, you run the risk of re-injury. It does nothing to strengthen or help you in, in your rehab process. But it was just like made for Instagram, you know? It was just made for like the road to recovery. It's paved it's paved with potholes, but you got to persevere if you want to make it. Whatever, something stupid and inspirational. But that's what it was. These workout videos are nothing more than that. Just for people to see how hard they're working. It doesn't matter if they're practical or if they're actually helping. It's just the fact that you are doing it 
means that you care and you're trying and that, oh, watch out for him because he trained this yeah. offseason so like, like everybody Carmelo else. Carmelo Anthony, every offseason we see him in the hoodie in that tiny gym with the weird three, small three-point line where the end of it goes out to the wall. He's like making every shot and everybody's like, oh, big year for Melo. I want more bad training. Like there's the cool videos of like, remember when Steph Curry would do the stuff where he's bouncing mm-hmm. tennis balls and like pressing buttons on a light machine and mm-hmm. stuff. And that stuff probably proved to be helpful, but I don't care about that. I want more stuff like this where everybody looks at it and collectively <laughs> what goes, what is the purpose is that supposed to serve? Uh, next segment. Former NFL quarterback Jake Plummer, Jake the Snake as some know him, mainly with the Denver Broncos, mm-hmm. is going to be playing a quarterback for a movie called Kick. He's going to be playing for the Canadian Football League's Hamilton Tiger Cats. So, on this week, we're going to do that, better. Is that, a real, is that a real team, by the yes, way? Yes, that is a real team. I don't know what the movie's about. Um, but on this week, we're going to do better than Jake Plummer, Retro Edition. So, these will be all quarterbacks from, like, the uh, kind of 2000s. And just a reminder for Jake Plummer, because this is kind of a good, yeah, I guess, like, league average quarterback for at least maybe some of the years there. Uh, 69 and 67, so about 500. Played 57% of his passes. Exactly the same amount of touchdowns and interceptions. First up. Former Chiefs quarterback Trent Green. Is Trent Green better than Jake Plummer? Absolutely. Mm. Jake Plummer's peak didn't last very long, nor was it all that special. He made a Pro Bowl is 2005, 2006. He was out of the league. Wait, which year did he make the Pro Bowl? He made Pro Bowl in 05, 06. He played, was bad, and then he was out of the league. <laughs> didn't he flip off the. Wasn't it Jake Plummer that flipped oh, off the bench? Oh, that's fans, right. I think so. Sitting on yeah. the bench. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jake Plummer was – I remember Jake Plummer being like Eli Manning without the postseason success, <laughs> right? He just – he took a lot of shots, threw a lot of interceptions, but was never – like never had a statistically prodigious season. So Trent Green maybe had a few of those average seasons or below average seasons, but Trent Green's peak was better and lasted longer than Jake Plummer's. Therefore, this is an easy one. Trent Green is better than Jake Plummer. Agree. This is hands down to me. Rex Grossman. Sexy mm. Rexy versus Jake the Snake. Now we're getting somewhere. Rex Grossman, who famously went out on New Year's Day, I believe it was, and had a terrible game and had the nerve while he was playing in Chicago to go to the press conference and admit that he maybe went out and partied a little bit too hard the <laughs> night before. Hey, he's honest. Yeah, the, he thought that the transparency would would save him, and they'd be like, you know what, we need more of this. No, turns out in a major metro for like a, a good team, I think they were, that was. It may have been the year after their Super Bowl. I don't think it was the Super Bowl year. I think it was the year after the Super Bowl, and everybody goes, uh, yeah, don't do that. He got crushed for it, never recovered. Rex Grossman, even. In, even his good seasons weren't good. No. Like, but he made a the, Super Bowl. The year they went to the Super Bowl, he threw 23 touchdowns and 20 interceptions. That's the best season he had. 23 and 20. <laughs> and they didn't go to the Super Bowl because of Rex Grossman. They went to the Super Bowl in spite of him. They had the number one defense in the league. The answer is no. Rex Grossman is not better than Jake Plummer. But he went to the Super Bowl, and Jake Plummer, the year before, lost in the conference championship game. But Jake Plummer's better. Uh, Last one. The guy who usurped Rex Grossman and was later a Denver Broncos quarterback past Jake Plummer, Kyle Orton. Had it all together. This is. This is the full circle of the Jake Plummer experience. Kyle Orton has got to be on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks who didn't look like quarterbacks. (laughs) Andy Dalton's probably up there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't even know. I mean... Kyle Orton's number one. Like, he is the I mean, Jim McMahon, if we're going re- retro, Jim McMahon looks Jim more like, a, it, if you more like a linebacker. Big, bushy beard. Looked like a mountain man. Yeah. Uh, let's go back further. Uh, who's the guy who was the kicker and the punter for the... George Blanda. Uh, yeah, George. George Blanda. You know, everybody knows. Uh, Kyle Orton, pretty unspectacular as well. I think statistically... Jake Plummer's got him beat, right? No, I think Orton's bad. I think of all the quarterbacks I named, you'd probably have the biggest debate between Orton and Green. Yeah, but here's the thing. Jake Plummer somehow managed to be a starting quarterback for like a decade. Winner. I, like, have a soft spot in my heart for Kyle Orton for those, like, two games he was with the Chiefs. 
and like they beat the undefeated Packers and they almost made the playoffs. Uh, that was the year Tim Tebow made it with the Broncos. Oh yeah, his Chiefs career, which resulted in one touchdown. I winner. What can I say? Uh, he went I, forty-two and forty. That's not a winner. That's barely <laughs> treading water. Hey, Jake Plummer, sixty-nine, sixty-seven. Yeah, so he did Orton it more efficient though. Yeah, but he did it for longer. Jake Plummer better, therefore Kyle Orton mm. not better. On to who's older. Las Vegas Raiders defensive end, Carl Nassib. I don't know if it's Nassib or Nassib. Nassib. Uh, or Jacksonville wide receiver, Laquan Treadwell. Carl Nassib came out as gay earlier this week. Is that why you included him on here? He's just been in the headlines. Another, I scour the headlines. Another the social issue for you to piggyback. <laughs> who is it? Carl Nassib versus who? Yeah, uh, Laquan Treadwell. Remember him? He's on the Jaguars Yeah, from now. Ole Miss. Yeah. He's like a first-round pick for the Vikings. They didn't work out well. No. Uh, I will take, I'll say Carl uh, Nassib's older. 28, Treadwell, 26. New York Giants business operator, Eli Manning, or Washington wide receivers coach, Drew Terrell. Oh, Eli's got to be 37, 38. I don't know who the other guy is. I will say Eli Manning is older. Eli's 40. Wow. And Terrell is 29. Free agent safety and former U.S. Olympic rugby star, but will not be be competing in the Olympics this year. Nate Ebner or Las Vegas assistant special teams coach Byron Storer. Uh, Nate Ebner, did he play for the Niners? Um, You're thinking of a different guy. He was on like the Patriots. Maybe he played for the Niners too. I'll go with the other guy. Storer. 37. Ebner's 32. Winning week in the bag. Baltimore corner Jimmy Smith or New York Jets linebacker CJ Mosley. All right, C.J. Mosley, Alabama. People forget that. Mm. Crimson Tide. Yeah. Yeah, go Bama. Yeah. Roll Tide. Roll Tide, uh-huh. some people would say. Yeah. I'll say C.J. Mosley's older. Mm. Undefeated week, no more. Jimmy Smith, 32. C.J. Mosley, 29. See if you go out with uh, some bad taste in your mouth. Former Broncos quarterback, Jake Plummer, or <laughs> New York Giants offensive line coach, Rob Sale. I was just staring at Jake Plummer's. Wick, uh, player reference page. He's got to be 40-something. I'll say he's older. Jake Plummer, 46. Rob Sale is 41. Woo! That Four wasn't even week. close. Last segment. Where are they at? Former Chiefs defensive tackle Mike Pinnell signed with an NFC team on Ooh. Wednesday. Who did he sign with? Mike Pinnell signed with the Seattle Seahawks. Congratulations to Mike Pinnell. Mike Pinnell... Signed with the Minnesota Vikings. Right Mike, division. Mike Pinnell signed with the Detroit Lions. Mike Pinnell, now happily a member of the Chicago Bears. Woo! Nailed it! Knew it. Congrats yeah! to Mike Pinnell. That's your NFL Whip Around. This is Rock Chuck Sports Talk. So the foreign substance circus is in full effect now in Major League Baseball. Last night, Max Scherzer and Sergio Romo of the Nationals and the Oakland Athletics, respectively, getting in on the show. The first one was rather spectacular in just how it all played out. Phillies playing the Nationals. Joe Girardi, the manager of the Phillies at one point, decided that, you know what, something fishy is going on on the mound there with Max Scherzer. He wants the umps to go take a look at it. The visual, by the way, of when these umpires go out to check for substances, it's really just like visually confrontational because all three umpires like descend on Max Scherzer, like, don't try to run. If you run, like, that's what it looked like. Let's swarm him. So, in case he tries to get away, we can tackle him and hold him down. Like, that's sort of what it looked like. So, Max Scherzer. Wasn't super happy about it. Sort of ripped his hat off and said, here, check it out. Because that's what Joe Girardi wanted to see. And he spoke about the decision to get Max Scherzer checked out after the game. What did you see that prompted you to ask them to inspect uh, Scherzer? Yeah. I've seen Max a long time, since 2010. Um, Obviously, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Um, But I've never seen him wipe his head like he was doing tonight, ever. Um, Going like this. Right, so it was suspicious for me. He did it about four or five times. Um, it was suspicious. I didn't mean to offend anyone. I just got to do what's right for our club. There were some coaches that were 
screaming at me, right? And coaches that I know, and it, it bothered me, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not playing games, trying to win games here. I'm not playing games. And I have respect for the other people over there. I have respect for what Max has done in his career. But again, I got to do what's right for our team. So he said that he'd, he'd never seen Max Scherzer touch his hair, which seems, it seems unlikely that Max Scherzer at no point in his, how many, I mean, what, 15-year career? When did Max Scherzer debut? In 2008. So he's been in the league now for 14 seasons. It seems unlikely that in 14 seasons, Max Scherzer has never taken off his hat to rub his hair. But Joe Girardi's seen a lot of him, and he'd never seen that before. There's no way this is registering on Girardi's radar if not for the new foreign substance policy, correct? Because Max Scherzer's still allowed to use rosin, and that's what he said he was using last night. So I'd imagine when these, when these coaches or these managers are asking for checks here, they're asking specifically to find out if they're using spider tech, right? Or is this an all-encompassing thing? Uh, I think not just spider tech, but also like, you know, you heard those stories about the Angels guy uh, just concocting different substances for pitchers, right? Like stuff like that. The organizational chemist. Yeah, but like, I don't know. I, I saw some stuff where it was like it was showing Max Scherzer and it showed him like the first inning and he had stuff on his hat. And then the fourth inning, there was like nothing on there. So it's like, did he change hats or like, what's the deal here? But it, it just looked like sweat more than anything. Or it looked like maybe he put some rosin on there, which again, like should be legal. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think that this is a sticky situation because on one hand, like I get it. Pun intended? <laughs> yes, sure. I'll say I'm clever enough to think of that. Uh, Joe Girardi, like I get it. You are trying to, there's a comp- competition side of this where you don't want him to be using sticky substances if you found a way that... You think he's skating the rules. But also at the same point in time, if you challenge him and you're wrong, there's got to be something there, right? Because we can't just every inning have the manager go, I want to challenge that. What do you do? You give him ejection? Ejection? I mean, do you want the manager doing it every inning in a playoff game? I think you should have That's going to happen. You take a defender off the field for one inning. (laughs) Okay, I like that. that. For the next half inning, you only get eight guys in the field. (laughs) Okay. And you can pick which one, Mm -hmm. whichever one you want. Uh, which one would you do, by the way? It would have to be an outfielder. Or we could just say if you get it wrong, it counts as your challenge, like on a replay. No, I don't I don't think that will be enough. What about an extra strike? You call him call him out okay. the wrong extra strike in the count. Is that enough? One strike? No, Joe Girardi or whoever the manager they has have to, to take, take the, the next bat. Yeah, yeah, yep, I like that. Actually, the that's that's the way to go. I think we finally Found it. Max Scherzer wasn't very happy about it. If you watch the video, you could tell he was demonstrably upset that his time was being wasted. Here's what he had to say about it. Yeah, I mean, the two checks were, I guess, normal. You know, umpires, you know, this is new for everybody, but, uh, you know, like, hey, they're checking your hat, they're checking your glove. I mean, you're, you're ready for them to check your hands. You know, like, I wasn't, you know, just using rosin tonight, so wasn't doing anything. That, that's all fine. And obviously, Girardi, um, you know, to me, it's, you know, kind of confusing um, if you watch the bomb at bat. Um, I mean, I just, I almost put a 95 mile an hour fastball on his head because the ball slipped out my hand. Um, the only part I couldn't even get sweat from the back of my head because it wasn't a really a warm night. Um, so for me, I, the only part that was sweaty on me was actually my hair. Um, so I had to take off my hat to be able to try to get any type of, uh, you know, try to get some type of moisture on my hand, uh, to try to, you know, mix with the mix with the rosin. And so, um, yeah, you know, for me, that's that's the confusing part is I'm just trying to get a grip of the ball, and you can even watch in that previous at bat, the ball slipped out of my hand, almost dribbled something in the face. You got to realize, Max Scherzer is one of the more powerful players in the MLBPA. Like, isn't he pretty high up in the MLBPA? So yeah. he's somebody who, was he frustrated about the fact that he got checked last night? Yeah. But more than that, he's frustrated that this is a thing at all. He's frustrated that the players don't have a seat at the table. That Rob Manfred in Major League Baseball essentially handed down these new rules without sitting down at the table. Because, I mean, you you could see that pitch that he threw where he said he had no grip because it was a relatively cold night. He, he couldn't really work up much of a sweat, so there was nothing to, to get that, that grip on the ball. 
He's got a 95-mile-per-hour fastball going towards the batter's head. Like, the batter probably doesn't like that either. So if that kind of stuff continues to happen, the frustration is going to continue to grow as well. Same thing with, with just the checks in general. That's why he said he was rubbing his head because it was the only place he could get a sweat and to, to get a grip on the ball. Sergio Romo, like, pulling down his pants. <laughs> they came and checked him. And, I mean, I can't imagine what the, the umpire's response was in that moment where he comes over to check him. Romo throws the hat on the ground, throws the glove on the ground, whips the belt <laughs> off, and then just undoes the pants and pulls him down and says, here. Here I am. Take here I am. And all I am. Like, like, as if they were going to do a cavity search. Like, <laughs> what's the Dave Chappelle line? Over. What's the Dave Chappelle line? He goes, what's he say? Spread your cheeks and lift your sack and spread your cheeks. Like, that's not what's going on here. I don't think that's not what we're trying to do here with Major League Baseball. And the only way to fix it, the only way to fix this, because this is going to rage on, and the idea that you're going to get a penalty for getting the checks wrong, that's not going to happen either. The only way to fix this is for Major League Baseball to sit down with the players. Because, you know, yes, the the pitchers are more incentivized to get this fixed than the batters are, but... If pitchers really, if this really is going to be a control issue, and these guys are going to keep throwing and losing the grip, and you know, going after players on accident, whatever the case may be, runners don't want to see this either. Offensive players don't want to see the stoppages either. So I think the players are going to be more unified than maybe you would think they would. Major League Baseball just needs to sit down with them and say, okay, what's acceptable, what's not, what's going to make the game safer, what's going to make the game more right. fair where everybody can kind of get a win here. Yeah, I mean, I just I have a hard time believing the MLB is going to sit down with them because we know they just haven't really cared to begin with. And Rob Manfred has just been, like, completely silent for the last, like, three months. Like, where are you, Rob? Um, and you just add to the fact that the CBA is due up next year. It just, again, like, every time the MLB does something right now, I'm just, like, on high alert that, okay, they're doing this because they want another negotiation tool. They want another thing that they can say when they're drafting the CBA next year, the new CBA, they can tell the players... Oh, we'll we'll stop doing the searches, but you got to give us this. But again, you can say that, but I don't think Major League Baseball wants this to become the predominant headline throughout the season either. I wouldn't think so, but like everything Rob Manfred has done, seemingly it feels the same way. It's like, do you really want that to be what we're talking about? That's what we're doing here, and it's like, it, it doesn't change anything. So I don't know what to believe because also, like, if you read the memo of what they sent out when they said they're going to start, you know, having. Uh, different punishments and stuff for this. They said that we don't think it is a control thing because hit-by-pitch numbers are up more this year than they have been in years past. So, like, what do you do with that? Like, is it correlation or is it causation? Like, would Max Scherzer, even if he had the grip, would he still have almost hit somebody? It's definitely possible. And so, like, I, I don't know where to sit on this because on one hand, I, I get it. Like, what he's saying? Like, yes, I want him to have better grip control so that there's less chance that he hits people. But people are still getting hit by pitches. And then, like, Tyler Glass now says that you know, he needed the pitch grip to – it put too much stress on his forearm, and that's what caused him to basically tear his UCL. Like, I don't know. Is that true or not? I don't know. I'll tell you this. If I were a batter, if I were an offensive player, now would be the time to start cheating and using foreign substances because <laughs> nobody's paying attention to you. They joked today that Max Scherzer was yelling at the umpires to check Bryce Harper's hair and he was joking and Bryce Harper started laughing but that's the that's what I kind of thought about when I saw that video was if you were an offensive player and you want to start experimenting with foreign substances now's the time because all eyes are on the pitchers no one's paying any attention to what the batters are doing so uh you know whether that's anabolic steroids uh andro uh pine tar whatever you want to try now is the time because I'm telling you everybody's looking the other way all right he's Derek Johnson I'm Nick Schwartz you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk